0: I believe that this nation should commit itself to achieving the goal before this decade is out of landing a
1: man on the moon and returning him safely to the earth hey. oh, Lift off, we have a lift off, 32 minutes past the hour Lift off on Apollo 11 Tranquility
0: Day, here, the Eagle has landed Roger, Tranquility, we copy you on the ground. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind.
1: It was really dramatic, rough terrain, cratered, hilly, and I kept thinking, nobody's ever been here before. I'm on the moon.
0: Hello everyone. Welcome to Living History, a special episode of Living History which comes hot on the heels of the series of special episodes we've done about the 50th anniversary of the Apollo moon landings. Now, if you haven't listened to the other episodes in the series, please go back and do so because they're just incredible. We've got interviews with NASA historians, with scientists, and most importantly with Charlie Duke, Apollo astronaut Charlie Duke. Charlie flew to the moon and landed as part of Apollo 16. He was the 10th man to walk on the moon. He's one of only four men left alive who have set foot on the surface of the moon. So go back and listen to Charlie talking about his experiences in the entire Apollo program. And like always, if you're enjoying what we're doing on Living History, a personal plea from me, please subscribe. Please click that subscription button, and that means you'll never miss out on an episode we've got coming up. And also, give us a star rating. Give us a review. Click on those stars. Hopefully, we're worthy of five stars. Uh, and write a few words about us because that puts the message out there to other people that we're doing some hopefully interesting stuff on the podcast and just means we can create more great content. Today's episode, a pretty special one really. There's a new movie that's come out called simply Apollo 11 about the moon landings and it's a documentary about the Apollo 11 mission. And I know what you're going to say, not another documentary about Apollo 11 because there's been literally hundreds that have been made over the course of the years, but this one is pretty special and well worth checking out. It opens in cinemas this week, and it's a documentary that is not dry in any way, shape, or form. There's no narration. There's no boring historians like me just talking about the moon landings. It's all told from the perspective of the astronauts with some incredible footage, most of which has never been seen before, and some pretty clever audio tricks as well. So the people who made this film have done a wonderful thing. They've uncovered this incredibly high-definition footage that most of which, as I said, had not been seen before. And then they've also catalogued thousands and thousands of hours of audio from mission control, from the astronauts themselves, and then they've married the two together. So it's the story of the Apollo landings told by the people who were there, not told through interviews, but you live the experience of being alongside these people as they planned and executed this incredible mission to the moon. I, I I loved the movie and I don't say that lightly because I see a lot of documentaries and many of which I don't really rate as particularly good on a whole range of subjects. So this one is exceptional. It is a wonderful movie and I highly recommend you go and see it, particularly in the movie theatres because you want to see it on a big screen. It's absolutely extraordinary and so I was lucky enough to speak to Steven Slater who was one of the people that worked on putting this film together. He worked in the archive to dig up a lot of this footage and audio that makes this movie so special. So please enjoy listening to this interview with Stephen Slater about Apollo 11 and go out and see the movie. You'll really enjoy it. Stephen, thanks so much for taking the time to join us on Living History. Really nice to be here. This movie, I saw it uh, a couple of days ago, and I have to say it was pretty astonishing. It's a remarkable achievement. Give us a little bit of a background into how this wonderful project came together.
1: Well, we'd, uh, the film team behind this, uh, particularly the the director, Todd Douglas Miller, Tom Peterson, the producer, and Matt Morton, the composer, um, we'd worked together previously on a film called The Last Steps, which was all about Apollo 17. So it told the story of the last trip to the moon in a very similar style. No art, no interviews, um, no narration, just you're going to experience this mission kind of as it happened, fly on the wall sort of thing.
0: Because that's quite unusual, isn't it, for this style of documentary? There's a lot of documentaries around at the moment about Apollo and a lot of them are talking heads, very dry.
1: The astronauts saying the same old stories again and again and, uh, sound bites. Um, yeah, I, I, had
0: a very different vision with what you wanted to do with this film.
1: Yeah. Well, t- I mean, it's really, it's Todd's, I suppose that's this style is kind of Todd's vision because we did it with Apollo 17 and, and I'm, I'd worked on, uh, other space documentaries. I'd become a bit of a kind of pigeonholed as, as someone who's a specialist in that area, particularly with the archival. Um, I worked on a documentary called The Last Man on the Moon, which was about Gene Cernan, who was the commander of Apollo 17. And actually it was Todd who approached me and said, you know, we'd like to do something just without the Apollo 17 archive. And I had, a, I had a huge collection of, of this archive. I was like, yeah, go at it. And I don't always, I'm not always expecting huge results when I, when people ask, to work with me or whatever. And then they came back a few months later. Well, first of all, I sort of seen a rough cut and I'd, I'd given notes and that kind of thing. But we, we premiered the film at the Hamptons Film Festival in 20, late 2016. And it was just a beautiful piece of work. I was so, so impressed by what they, they'd done. And actually, it was in the bar in East Hampton after the screening. I just said to Todd, look, I've, I've, I've done a lot of work Primarily with the sixteen millimeter, 16 millimeter film shot in Mission Control during Apollo, so we can go into that in more detail, but basically though it was b roll film that cameramen NASA cameramen would shoot, and I'd undertaken this crazy project to try and manually add sound to this footage that they didn't have sound recorders, I just wanted to know what the guys were saying what, and and have it in the correct historical timeline and i done That in my spare time for the previous few years, and I said to Todd, Look, 50th anniversary is coming up. We could do so, I think we could do something quite special with using that and the just the onboard film and the similar style that we had done with the last steps. And then it mushroomed into what, what you saw the other day, which is like a giant screen experience with all this 70 mil film.
0: So, basically, just to as, as I saw it, it was a, a collection of absolutely astonishingly high quality footage from the 70 mil mm. footage, amazing color footage. And then it basically was a documentary that told the story of Apollo 11 without narration, without boring interviews. It was just... And I found it an incredibly engaging way to tell the story, this combination of wonderful footage, most of which hadn't been seen before, and then, as you said, the, the audio as well, so you could, you could hear what, the, what the, the guys in mission control were saying. You could, you could hear how the astronauts were responding. Uh, have I summed it up fairly well? As to Yeah, yeah, and show? that was
1: the aim, and the aim was to kind of make people feel like they were, they were there in, in some respect and to put a huge amount of time into the sound design and making it feel right and also making it accurate. And that was where my story with this, started i suppose with the mission control film is to get it into the right or so you're actually seeing the moment when we landed on the moon in mission control we're not just seeing a a, a console or a guy smoking a cigarette or a, a flashing light or something um because filmmakers can be very lazy they'll just use any of this archive to try and show the point they want to make i'm not really into that you know sometimes you can use something representationally but by and large we try and stick with the actual footage shot at that moment of as close to as possible we're not just seeing a, a controller in a yellow shirt suddenly switching to a white shirt it, it, it was filmed on that day or close to that time and so it was my job to get all that in in order and having done a lot of that before i built on that sort of tenfold um to aid the editing of this film, and then the 70mm stuff came along, which we haven't really talked about, but that's that's a whole other element. Which well,
0: let's let's talk about that now because that was yeah. an astonishing aspect of the of, of the the film mm. was that 70mm footage. So tell us about that and 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 the role it plays at the film.
1: Yeah, we we um so one thing that's very very another thing that's very important to us is uh, we always try and find the source material for anything we're using so if we're talking about 16 millimeter film which we we were with the mission control footage and some of the all the flight film that the astronaut shot is 16 mil what we ideally want to do is we need to track down the film that was in the camera and use the best scanner modern technology to scan that into high definition to give people a cinematic experience and so we'd started on this premise that we're going to use some of that stuff. We are going to. We need to track down all the best source reels. And they're in a place called the National Archives in Maryland in the U.S., which is the end repository for any film shot by the U.S. government ends up there. And we were speaking with the archivist there about getting the source reels for all this stuff. And then we got an email. It was on May the 10th, 2017, from the head archivist at the Motion Picture Division, saying, um, by the way, guys, we've just come across um, 160 reels of 70 millimeter film. About a third of it, we think, is related to Apollo 11. Um, we're not quite sure what's on it, but it appears to be in very good condition. What do you think? Do you, this could change the direction of the project substantially. And I was just stunned when we got that news.
0: Well, the, the, it's quality, isn't
1: it? The quality of this footage,
0: because it's 70mm, just the quality of that footage is is quite astonishing i, I couldn 't believe it when I was watching it it 's in color it's it 's magnificent, clear, crisp footage it looks like it was shot today
1: yes i um when we got the email uh, I had some idea about what this could be because i'd actually worked on a film called <laughs> a Restoration of a film i say restoration in inverted commas called Moonwalk One uh, for the fortieth anniversary, so this was a cult film that was made that NASA commissioned at the time um, to show, to sort of document that first lunar landing. And they had a really avant-garde director to shoot stuff, like all the scenes on the beach and people watching the launch and all that kind of thing. And so we knew, I knew that that had been shot. I knew he'd shot it in 70 millimeter, but all we had was the finished film, and we had like a 35mm print of that film. So we knew that the cinematography was very good and and stuff, but my understanding had been that those reels had been destroyed. And I found paperwork to that effect that said they'd been destroyed. And so when we got the email, I immediately thought, okay, this, this, this must be something to do with Moonwalk 1. And we found out not only was it all the Moonwalk 1 source reels, so the rushes, so effectively everything these cameramen were shooting at the time, but it was also NASA appeared to have employed... Uh, 70 millimeter crews to cover all aspects of this mission. So not just the day of the launch. There was all the recovery on the USS Hornet. There was the training, um, and there was also a lot of stuff from other missions like Apollo eight, nine, ten, and twelve. Just in this pristine quality, and you know, I've seen every frame of it, and it's um, it's mind blowingly good. <laughs> And then talk to me about the
0: audio as well, because this was, I assume, one of the greatest challenges that you had to undertake in your role in the film, Um, but also something that adds a a, a wonderful layer to and a wonderful depth to the film, because for the first time, we can hear what they're saying in Mission Control. We can hear what the astronauts are saying. Tell us about the audio and the challenge that that was to put
1: together. Um, We become aware, and I become aware of a project by the University of Texas in Dallas to digitize what's called the 30 track audio tapes. So these are basically all the, the controllers in that room um have, have headsets on, and then there's another back room of their support teams that have headsets on. And that audio is all going on to 30, it's actually 60 two tapes running concurrently with 60 channels of audio, which adds up to eleven thousand of hours hours of audio through the whole mission. A colleague of mine, Ben Feist, who um, is from Toronto, I provided him with all of this raw audio. So literally, they—they'd this team at the University of Texas had designed a playhead to specially play this stuff back. Like one didn't exist. So it was a huge research project to get the, the audio off this, off these tapes. And I provided all the audio to Ben. We got, you know months of emails trying to get the stuff out of them but eventually we got access to this audio sent it to Ben and what Ben found was that it all had fl- inbuilt flutter so it was all wavering um, it wasn't good quality there was some problem with the player head. he would be the person to, to describe all the technical machinations behind that but what it meant was that we couldn't lock it into the mission time so he actually found a software he's a software developer but There was another man he found in Europe who had written some code that could correct for this flutter. And he did that across the entire nine-day mission. So now that allowed me to go, or Todd or anyone, the director, to go to any point on a project and find out what was happening and what those guys were saying at any point in the whole mission. To within, so, because it was also locked to the timeline of the mission and so it was, we couldn't have done it without that, that work to, to sort that out. And actually he's now um, launched a website called ApolloInRealTime.org where you can, you can go to any time in the mission and you can on off those controllers and, and listen to what they're saying and all the synced mission control footage is also there so that's the final element to this is to make something that we can visually see in the film i would then i could then use that and and lip sync to controllers who were um so it might be let's say the uh fido officer or the retro officer there's a shot of him gold fishing um we think it's around 102 hours into the mission i'll go to that to ben's timeline isolate his audio and try and lip sync it to when he might be speaking and and nine times out of ten we we managed to do that
0: it's absolutely extraordinary the effect that that has on the film is it's a documentary but i had to remind myself that it wasn't a hollywood blockbuster because there's just so much going on and you're so immersed in it the soundtrack was amazing as well the the musical score it was Tension is the word I would describe. The excitement of that launch when that Saturn V takes off. The The tension as the, the separations are occurring in space and trying to dock and then the, the, the final 13 minutes where they land. Just the whole thing was just immersive from an emotional experience. So you, you did a brilliant job of drawing the viewer in from my Perspective, because documentaries to me are also a little—they're always a little bit isolating. You don't feel like you're part of the story; you feel very much like you're observing what's going on. But um, in this one, we definitely were—you um, definitely were drawn into the story um, and and felt very much a part
1: of the story. Was that an effect that the whole team was going for with this documentary? Yeah, I mean, my, my uh, element—a I mean, lot of that is in the vision of Todd Miller, the director, who the way he edited it and the way he was inspired by very much cinema verite sort of films like Woodstock and and these special venue films that they had with the, the fractured narrative and that kind of thing. That was a big influence on him. For me, the influence or the motivation is, I suppose, to, to make it as if, to find archive as if it was material that he'd shot. So when you're putting those real words into the controller's mouths, Actually, you're making it as if Todd had a film crew in the room and he was filming it at the time. Whereas before, in a lot of the Apollo documentaries, you would just see this randomly assembled stuff. There's an alarm. Oh, we'll just show a shot of a flashing light on a console. We're not actually... We're just trying to artificially create drama. And that's lazy filmmaking for me. This is getting back to the roots, the original source and you know, finding the source reels and everything's all very important to me. So that's where I put my focus and then hopefully it lifts the project. What was your biggest technical challenge during this film, Stephen? Well, personally, uh, the syncing of the audio is, is just an immense um, uh, psychological th- problem in many ways. You're trying to... Read people's lips, you're looking at for reference points. You have to have a completely um unnatural understanding of <laughs> what was going on. You have to be very sad in many ways. You have to not have much of a social life because um, you could spend like four days just trying to match up one bit of audio. Because I think people don't really understand when they see someone speaking in the film. It wasn't like that originally, it's had to be. Essentially created from scratch, and I've I've done that. So that's the that's the thing I, I'm most proud of. But also was was the biggest um, biggest challenge. I mean, technically scanning the eight scanning at eight k the 70 millimeter film was a huge huge technical challenge. I mean, I'm I'm not taking any of the credit for that. We had a team in New York who. Designed a custom-built scanner that could deal with this stuff, and because it's the only one that exists, and uh, it could allow them to scan this material at a, in a reasonable time frame, and get us to use it in, in in the film. And it was the data rates and the the disk space to to store all that stuff is just mind blowing. It was like there's over a petabyte of data, from, which is a thousand terabytes of data of all this stuff.
0: Just astonishing. I mean, in the in the film itself, let's talk a little bit about some of the things we saw on the screen because I was quite surprised at a, a number of aspects. One of the things that struck me when I was watching the film is in spite of the seriousness, in spite of, the, of what was at stake during this mission, how much humour came to the fore. There were often little jokes and pithy comments made. I, I remember the scene where Buzz Aldrin was going down the ladder onto the moon and he actually was making a comment about how I've been careful not to lock the door behind me because we will want to get back up here. Uh, did you did you find that when you were making the film that I was I was surprised by the the levity that often injected itself into these very serious moments? Did you find that in your uh, experience with this footage and audio?
1: Yeah, and you, you, there was a lot of off guard moments. I mean, Mission Control—you'd hear a guy just calling his um, calling his wife to say what time he'd be home because they would do that, and it would somehow have been recorded on the in the official record. Um, the astronauts have been portrayed a lot as sort of automatons. I mean, even Neil Armstrong, I think it was in First Man, he comes across as, this is the Ryan Gosling film, he comes across as very serious with no sense of humour. I don't find that at all. I, I think he had a really good sense of humour, and he's understated but dry, and uh, it comes across when you're really familiar with the audio. Do you feel that your
0: closer now to these men as human beings that as, as we say these are some of the most famous people in the world the, the first men to walk on the moon do you feel you now you now know more about them as human
1: beings through this process of creating this film uh, yes uh, yeah i do i mean i um i actually met, met buzz aldrin a few weeks ago for the first time and that was quite a quite an amazing moment and they, they were involved with um with screening the film and and helping with the technical accuracy of it um yeah, I always you 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 learn something new every day you listen to this stuff, and uh, yeah. So the the answer is yes, <laughs> emphatically, yeah.
0: I thought something that also came through in the film was the uh, the the idea that this wasn't just an American project. Obviously, it was America that was seeking glory and landing on the moon, but constant mentions throughout the film of mankind, the plaque that they left: "We came in peace for all mankind." Do you think that the that that's
1: part of the Apollo story, that it was something bigger than just the Americans? Mike Collins has given quite a lot of interviews where he talks about the astronauts embarked on a worldwide tour called the Giant Step Tour shortly after they came out of quarantine in the autumn of 1969. And Australia was one of the places they came to visit. They visited Sydney and, and Perth, and there's a lot of very good film of them. Um, but they also went to the Middle East. Um, uh, they went to Canada, the UK, Europe, and everywhere Mike Collins would say that people said, we did this. Not Americans did it. We did it. It was we, mankind, did it. And, yeah, that struck me as quite quite powerful that people were subconsciously associating, associating it even at the time with, with everyone, not just the US.
0: When you look back on the finished product of that film now, what are the what are the special moments for you? What are the moments in that film that you're most proud of? Were there any moments that, that you were really delighted to bring to the screen
1: for the first time? What are those special moments for you in the film? Um, my favourite archive is actually, you'd expect me to probably say something about to do with the space mission. It, it's not at all. It's actually the film of the public at the time arriving at the launch site on the beaches near um cape kennedy station wagons um glasses and haircuts in that um period um fashion uh it's it blows me away that because it's like a real time capsule of time you're someone at the time said we're going to get we're going to document this in the best way we can it's a time capsule so that in in the future people will be able to see what was, what it was like at this time when we did this amazing thing
0: i agree with you that the for me the, the biggest impact was actually the first half of the film not the moon landing but the, the first half when you saw the astronauts getting ready when you saw them, yeah. you know, when you saw the huge Saturn V being loaded into place, when you saw the, the incredible chopper footage, there's a, there's a great scene of a helicopter flying along filming holiday makers who'd come out to watch the launch, people getting out sandwiches and picnics and, and getting set up for the launch. The, the Obviously, the moon landing um, sequences of the film are very engaging. They always will be, man landing on the moon. But that first half to me when it was showing those extra elements that uh, that you don't normally think of i thought that was an absolutely extraordinary part of the film
1: well that was the main public interface was was the launch that's when people got to experience this thing um people experienced the moon landing itself the walk on the moon at a real remove they were watching it on ghostly black and white television sets um there are god knows how many documentaries are coming out as we're speaking it's the week of the um of the anniversary and, uh, Uh, it's just every every other night there's something new on and these documentaries they tend to show shots of people around the world watching the moonwalk and while it was clearly a very special moment it leaves me cold a little bit because i just feel like a lot of people's memories about that are are quite rose-tinted it probably was actually quite boring (laughs) it was very technical it wasn't and it went um, for a long
0: time as well. It took a, the the broadcast of the moon landing went on for a very yeah, long. Yeah, I mean time. there's
1: a lot of time when they're not saying anything and it's not um it's not the edited piece that we've we've done. Um clearly it was it was a it was a impactful moment for people. But I think something like the launch when you can see people actually experiencing something viscerally rather than someone watching a TV screen that that means a lot more to me there's also a very strong technical reason for that to be so compelling because when you're on the ground
0: before the vehicle takes off they've got lots of cameras they've got lots of people filming whereas obviously once it's just three blokes up in space they're limited to what they can record so i was just blown away by the the breadth of what they had shot in the lead up to the launch it was absolutely incredible
1: yeah i mean there's 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 um that, that first 30 minutes for me is is probably the highlight i would say um and you could you could say that it's, it's in a way it's all downhill from from there but i don't agree i mean i think it's uh, some of the scenes of recovery for example i um, my my personally my favorite s- scene in the film is the rendezvous uh so neil armstrong and buzz aldrin took off from the moon and uh michael collins set a 16 mm movie camera in the window of columbia the command module and the sequence in the film, for the first 30 seconds, you're just seeing the lunar surface go by, and then very, very glad- gradually, this little dot just gets bigger and bigger and bigger, and comes into view, and then it starts pirouetting, and it's a beautiful display of orbital mechanics, and it's backed by Matt Morton, our composer, doing this beautiful cue, which... Um, I, I cried, actually, when I saw it the first time.
0: I agree with your assessment of that scene because I was the same. I was sitting in the theatre going, oh, that's a really lovely shot of the moon as the, as the command module you know, orbits the moon. And I thought, I'm surprised they're holding on this shot for so you know, My technical mind came in a little bit, and I'm like, I'm surprised they're holding on this shot for so long because it's yeah. lovely, but they seem, it seems to be a very long time just showing the surface of the moon. And then you're right, you see this little dot just appear, which is the the, uh, the lunar vehicle returning? It was yeah. just uh, just br- like and a, and a wonderful scene, just very very well done.
1: Yeah, and that's where you have to give Todd, um, the director and editor, just so much credit for letting the material breathe. Other films I've seen would just cut this thing to shreds. Why would you want to cut away from that shot? It's like or it's some a- technical diagram showing how beautiful. they came together. And- or some some um, the thing I really hate is these. Cards captions that come up on screen describing what's going to happen like oh there will be a a uh, the the 1201 alarm meant blah 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 and it's like i actually that just takes me completely out of the moment i just want to experience it and maybe i don't need to know everything that that alarm meant
0: Stephen, you've been very close to to the apollo story for Mm. a very long time now you've you've worked you've you've put literally put words into the mouths of the people that were there What's the legacy of all this for you? Why was it important that we went to the moon? Is it still important 50 years later that we did this? What's the legacy of the Apollo program to you?
1: It's a very, very big question. I, I think it, it just shows what we can do as a, a species when we put our minds to it, when we have a goal. Like Kennedy set that goal before this decade is out, we will do this, and then we did it. So it, I think it, it's, um, it's a very optimistic um, message that it sends. Um, but also it's... I don't know. There's something strange was going on at the time. It's like it's, it's a bit like they took a decade from the late 21st century and put it into the 20th century. I mean, the day that shot we talked about was filmed of the lunar module coming up and rendezvousing, uh, the Beatles started recording Abbey Road. <laughs> so, and I was thinking about this recently. In 500 years' time, um, what's going to be remembered from from that time? Probably the music of the Beatles will be, and going to the moon. So these are things that are gonna last a long time. How much of what's happening today will will really um, live that long? Um, that's just just my my view. Um, it's a that's a cultural thing, and so there's two a cultural and a scientific thing that were happening on the same day, um, and and they haven't been matched. You could really argue that like the music of the Beatles hasn't been matched and into the moon hasn't been merged.
0: I heard, uh, I heard another historian discussing this say that um, really, when you think about it, probably the only person who from the 20th century who is likely to be remembered in the 25th century is probably going to be Neil Armstrong. It won't be Hitler, it won't be any of these other people we think are, are so important in, to, in, in today's world. Neil Armstrong is potentially the only person from the 20th century who will still be relevant in the 25th century. And lo- Right or wrong, that just sums up the, the significance of what was achieved in 1969.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's odd, it's, it's maybe odd that he would be remembered personally because he was he was one of many people who were qualified to, to, to do that. Um, obviously, he did an amazing job. Um, I, I think the achievement is more important than any one person. Um,
0: I think you're right, too, and it's a, a, the, the best demonstration of a collaborative achievement
1: you probably could have is the, the 400,000 people involved. In the moon landing, but I find it interesting. I mean, what, like, what do you? You're a historian. What do you think will last from the 20th century?
0: It's sort of that's a really good question. I think. I think things. I think the dark moments, like World War II and Hitler, I think endure. I think we always, as humans, remember those dark moments. And maybe that's where Apollo comes in. Maybe in what was a very dark century. The you know the 20th century was was characterized by wars and death on a destruction on a scale we'd never seen before. And maybe that's why Apollo shines out because it was a demonstration of people coming together. And even the fact that it began in this sort of space race and the Cold War, it it grew out of that, but became something so much more. So I'm hopeful as a historian that Apollo 11 is a representation of the good of mankind in a world where we tend to focus a lot on the negative.
1: I I, I agree. But I mean, I would also say that it was a quite an ephemeral thing. I mean, people forget that three years afterwards when Apollo seventeen went to the moon. Everyone had moved on. People weren't watching. People we are we are very ephemeral as a as a as a species. So I I I think it's interesting seeing having all this reinterest again fifty years later. And I mean, hopefully our our film um, contributes to that. But will people move on after the anniversary and be think not think about it again until the sixtieth? I don't know. It, is it is it something that's always in people's mind, I don't know, i would really, be interested to find out.
0: It's a, it's a very good question but what I should say is, for the time being while we are interested, go and see this film it's an absolutely extraordinary achievement and uh, the film is open uh, opening this week across Australia uh, and Stephen your contribution to it was absolutely vital obviously and it, again we're talking about great collective achievements like the Apollo campaign, this film is another one I, I thought it was absolutely brilliant and just thank you so much for taking the time to talk about it today. No, it's been a real
1: pleasure thank you for having me.